This is the Addiction Solution Podcast. My name is Mark Sheeran. And I'm Michelle Dunbar. And um, hey, you'll notice <laughs> there's a QR code in the corner. And what that is for is for you to enroll in our Move Past Addiction Masterclass. It's completely free. And it provides some really great information about how people solve addiction and about why so many people fail in treatment and AA programs today. And you'll also get a couple of free uh, small classes in that masterclass that are examples of what we do in the online program and when we coach you. Yes. So you'll get a really good feel for what we do, how we do it, why we do it, and all the research behind that in one hour. You will know more about addiction and how to move past it than if you went to a therapeutic community for an entire year. And it's free. And it's free. And uh, yeah, so, you know, if you know how to use, here, you point to it. I got a point. I I put my coffee here. (laughs) Because we're backwards. (laughs) So you put your phone camera up to it and it will give you a website and you just click on the website and that'll take you right to the page where you register. You pick a date. Now on that page, there's different dates, right? And it's always at noon Eastern time. So if that you're somebody that works and you can't be there at noon Eastern, that's fine. Register for that class. Um, And if you can't make the live class, then the replay is available to you at by 5 PM that day. So, and it's, it's always on a Thursday. So you'll have the whole, you know, Friday, Saturday to watch it, however long it takes you to watch it. But you want to watch it quick because if you're interested in the online program and getting that coupon code, it's valid through Sunday. Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. Okay. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Addiction Solution. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sheeran. And we are authors of the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap. Bling, 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 and we have a special guest with us today. His name is Zach Rhodes, and he co-authored uh, Outgrowing Addiction with Common Sense Instead of Disease Therapy. With He co-authored that with our friend Stanton Peel. He is the um, host of the social exchange podcast and he is a coach in the life process program welcome zach thank you so much thanks for both of you for having me yeah, and uh i just said i don't know I, I don't know how to introduce myself that was pretty good that's really that was relevant <laughs> and good i appreciate it i think well and you know it's funny because we don't usually have guests but i know how people introduce us yeah. so i just kind of copied it that works man yeah, yeah. yeah. rolls right off the tongue yeah. Hope you guys are doing good, and your setup is awesome. Thank you. I don't know. So much. Is it one of those? Like, are you? And is there a screen behind you, or is that just no. what your place looks like? No, that's what it looks like. We built a studio, and uh, 
did yeah. it right because we do them every week. I mean, it's a lot of work. Yeah, constantly. we're going on 200 episodes. I mean, we just we just dropped 191. This is going to be 192. Um, and, uh, but we, we only have had this studio for like the last five months. Mm -hmm. Um, we closed down our last retreat and moved because we were, our, we were, uh, broadcasting from there, from Mark's mm. office in the retreat. And then, uh, we actually found a place that had, uh, was an old radio station that had three studios. So, <laughs> Is it, so there's no more physical, uh, location. No, no. I didn't know that. Yeah. No. Yeah. We closed no. down all the retreats. We systematically closed them down over the yeah, period since about, 2017. We yeah. closed the first one in 2017, the second one in 2018. The third one was our, our teeny retreat. Like, and it was just Mark and I and Steven uh, teaching at that retreat. Yeah. And then we had a small staff, like a, a hospitality staff with a, we had a, it was, I really do miss having a private chef. Quite frankly, yeah. <laughs> that, that was a nice perk for 30 It was a nice years. perk. I was actually talking to him last night, and uh, we had, you know, housekeeping and and um, and like uh, directors who were there when we weren't there, um, and but we were there most of the time. So yeah, we we decided we went to all online model um, because you know we're we're ready to kind of reach the world. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. Yeah. So, so tell us, tell us about you. Yeah. What, what, what are you, you guys doing? doing? I was on your podcast probably, I don't know, five years ago, four years ago. That's great. It feels like it was not that long ago. I know. I know. I, know. I looked today and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and then actually I, I had, I found a recording of Michelle. I interviewed you at one point. I don't even and, remember. Um, Isn't that terrible? <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. Well, no, it's not good. So the, the idea was I had made this crappy sound. I, I used to do podcasts and I didn't know what podcasts were. I had this little, right. um, like laugh mic and it'll always be hanging on whatever the thing was I could find like a soda can or whatever. And it was in this little office. It was really a closet and there was a table on it. it was so stupid. Anyway, I made this like series that I did. I tried to be sound like NPR or and it, it went pretty well. Actually, people listened to it. I couldn't believe it. And so I was trying to make another one and it, it, it never happened. That is yeah. That's but, awesome. Um, I'm a little more established now. I don't look like, uh, like your guys studio, but, um, I guess relevant. What's up with me? Relevant to, you know, the topic at hand. You know, what we're yeah, what, we're trying to. Uh, I don't know. We're just trying to get better at the online thing. Even though we started as an online, the life process program started as yeah. an online program. Um, we still are trying to be online relevant, kind of like what you guys are doing. I love watching yeah. your, you know, your yeah. social medias and TikToks, and it's interesting trying to cut up you know, a long, is this how you do it? I mean, I, we have long form things that we didn't try to cut up into one minute. And then we try to have, be respectful to whatever platform we're, we're using to try to think about how do people get education in that well, soundbite, you know? Well, yeah. don't you find it difficult? Like it's the most difficult thing for, for us trying to, to like spread the word about our online program is is the uh, what people believe about addiction out yeah, there? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's that's the you can't in one minute or less, like like which is seems to be people's attention spans online, right? You can't in one minute or less um, explain addiction is not a disease, and you're not powerless. And yeah, <laughs> well, because well, but you guys, there's not there like is no real addiction thing. That's like the right. It's, yeah. it's kind of lives in the ether somewhere that it's not real, and. um yeah, I think it's almost like we take the easy way out. It's not meaning to, but you know, it's such a, a 
a motivationally, you know, motivational interviewing kind of a program that people come to us with whatever they believe. And we say, let's just focus on, you know, it sounds like you want to get your life better. So use whatever term you want. It's just, let's steer you in that direction and do it commonsensically. But it sounds like, I think your program is more like, let's just get to the, to bedrock and put to bed the ideas about what addiction is, you know, or isn't. Yeah. I think that, um, well, I'm going to back up a bit. I think that the hard part is educating the public and even reaching an audience in a sea of treatment conglomerates mm-hmm. and and a public opinion that doesn't even understand what we're talking about to begin with. Right. So you have to tap into the population that is discontented with that, right? Mm-hmm. So so you have to start as the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff first. And then work your way up from a marketing perspective. That's the only way that we found to do it in 34 years, right? And and so do we cut up videos? She does. She does. She'll cut up some of the podcast stuff and do that. But most of what we do is I sit down first thing One in the morning clips. and just rip mm-hmm. off idea. Sometimes I'm talking about deer hunting. I, I, I don't give a shit really. He's I just, relentless with this stuff. I don't know how he does it. I, I, you notice I'm not on there as much. Yeah, I get beat up constantly. I just don't even care about any of that. I just, I just want to reach people. And really the only way to do that is to be absolutely relentless. It's never ending. And it's a huge pain in the ass from an effort perspective because yeah. you have to live it, you know. Um, but you get it. You understand. I mean, it's, you're, you're going against a huge tide. So, but let's go back to what he was talking about with, with the differences. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we, we, both he and I kind of, I had gotten your book a, a while ago, yeah. uh, probably 2020 and read it, but I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go back through it and, um, and see where our similarities are. Like, like Stanton, we've known Stanton for ever for 20 years at least. <clears throat> and, um, and he, he actually did a, a review of our book when we put our book out there, which mm. was, which was awesome. We were so grateful to him for doing that. And, um, and, but we, but he, we would always kind of debate about our differences. Um, but there are similarities as well. And so that's, as I was looking through your book, um, you know, the, the idea that, addiction is a disease. Obviously Stanton was the first one that said, you know, the diseasing of America and the diseasing of America, which I had to read in, uh, in the uh, late nineties for a class I was taking. And, um, and I had already read the book and I was so impressed that they had us, I just have to digress for a minute. Cause this is a good story. Okay. Um, I, I had to read the diseasing of America for a treatment modalities class I was taking for my mm. psych degree. And, and I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. They're like branching out and looking at different, different ways to view addiction. It wasn't that at all. And we had three other books we had to read and compare and contrast and I, it was an online class, so we'd get in these discussion forums, and no, so it was, in, it was actually around 2009 because I was right. already running the retreats, and right. and I had been doing this already for 20 years, and the, the only reason they had us read that was to say how crazy Stanton Peel was, <laughs> and I was like, I had already met him, I was like, 
what? That's like, all brand. That sounds right. <laughs> I was so mad. So, well, you know, in order to get a psych degree, you got to, you know, especially if you're looking into addictions, you got to play the game. You yeah, got to right. play the academic game and um, which Stanton was never willing to play and which always impressed me about uh, the fact he was, I mean, he was before his time, he was a maverick. Um, and, you know, saying that this is a pro this is a problem. This is a problem that we're calling this as a disease because it isn't and it's harming people. That so, was, this whole thing was like, he got a degree in social psychology yes, and that's, yeah. you know, social psychology, there's a, a thread of common sense, I think more than another, uh, psychology track yeah. you can go on in social psychology, I feel. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, because I, it kind of mixes what we found is we had two, two, uh, PhDs of sociology on our board, right? And because they look at like like cultures and civilizations right. and societies and and can see trends and things like that that are much more meaningful with respect to addiction than um actual like mental health almost. Like it it's it, to me they it was more common sense, I guess. That I think so. I yeah. I think too that um when we were working in the retreats all those years, especially the first 12 years when I lived in, lived in my retreat, crazy, which was insane. <clears throat> now <throat> I look back at it, but, um, you know, when you see how people, the things that people actually say, and then you get this variety of people from all over the world. And all of a sudden I realized it really didn't matter if they were rich, poor, poverty stricken, privileged, it didn't, none of it mattered. It was all the same thing. And that was, they believed in the mythology that the drug could solve human ills Yeah. and a drug can't cause it's not, it doesn't have a mind, you know? So I think that, um, that's when I realized that the people could teach me. And that's, I think, what separated us from pretty much everybody else. I think a lot of people came at it from an academic perspective, and I didn't – I never had a degree. I was just a farmer from Scattercoke, New York, who was really good at reading a room. Yeah. And, and I could hang with anybody and learn, you know, so it, it worked out, but, but it was – it was brutal, man. It was really a lot of hard work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's so, me. That's, that's me too. I feel like uh, people that I jive well with have a similar backstory. Michelle, maybe not you. I don't know. I don't know what your, what your full story is, but I, um, tell our audience your story. Yeah. Tell us, tell us. I don't know. I don't know where to start with it. It's just that I, I work with kids. I mean, I was a shit, shitty kid. Not really, but that's that's how my you know <laughs> teachers saw me. I didn't do myself any favors. So I don't mean to make it sound like I was treated <laughs> only unfairly, but um, I understood while I was in the education system that something was completely wrong with it. Um, my educators knew, and I knew that I had some intelligence beyond what I was putting out academically. Mm -hmm. um, I never could quite put my finger on why I didn't care about any anything that was being asked of me. Um, but then there were some things that I would excel at anyway, but I felt like I failed school. And when I finally got my hook into, you know, working with people who had similar upbringings as I did, um, I was really good at it and I couldn't even articulate why I was good at it either. So I, um, that's a, that's a really potted version of my story, but I found myself in the education field as a specialist and as a specialist who was, I mean, 
in terms of the way school systems work, I was seen as so goofy and strange and weird. Like I would go on a bizarre track with people figuring out what they love to do and following their passions and figuring out hacks to, to be able to do that and meld in school. And people just thought I was the weirdest, except that uh, when people had standards of behavior that they put on a person, well, somehow I was this, this kid or kids were behaving. So at the end of the day, the product was, it's almost that the perspective was I was handing back, you know, working with a student and handing back a, a well-behaved person who was enjoying themselves and, and doing what was asked of them. From my perspective, I just helped them find a way to feel well about themselves and to, you know, apply their own purpose in the world and then help themselves and others. So that was, I've always had this commonsensical, I think, bent or just um, non-academic bent about human development. And so I started, a, people started asking me, well, how do you do it? And I really didn't know how to answer that. Just, you know, just get in touch with people. You figure out what makes people tick. You help them along. Um, you break rules. I don't know. I couldn't really be instructive in that way. So I started a podcast. I figured that give me enough distance from the institutions I work for to be able to say what I believe and, and what I do. And I started interviewing people and Stanton was one of the people I interviewed. And um, I didn't understand addiction or didn't really think much about it, even though I had my own bout with heroin and alcohol and everything. And in, in the way I saw it, the, the drug thing, I just had a real bad hiccup. You know, I was, did, did drugs in a dangerous way and it, um, to try to make me feel away. And I didn't really ever get that elation that I was looking for and felt kind of stuck in a rut in a habit and then found other things I enjoyed more that usurped the drug use. And then I was done. I didn't have a story about that. Like, you know, I didn't have like a, an addiction recovery story like everyone wanted. Uh, so when I inter uh, talked to Stanton, it was supposed to be about education and I'd <laughs> gone to a, a Gobor Mate talk and I was interested that, that Stanton was the only person who said any had any critique about Kabor Mate because I found it just completely folly some of the things that he was saying. Crazy. And uh, so that was so I had him on. I, I didn't even know the guy, and Stanton had to tell me he's like, you know, we think the same. You know, we're the same. And I, I wasn't sure what he meant, so it took a lot of exchanging with Stanton back and forth. He was interested in me, and I was certainly interested in learning more about him. It took a lot of exchanging to to explain to me his conceptualization of whatever addiction is mm -hmm. and kind of, I was able then to juxtapose, okay, I think, I think we're thinking about the same thing. You know, I think about child development, human development, and the same way that you think about whatever people call addiction, just like you develop into a thing, you develop out of it. Most people don't think about it. So that's where I landed working with Stanton in the life that's process program, helping adults now too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's cool. really interesting. I didn't know that. So, so you came from a background of education, and so, um, I, well, I think that's really great because what you described is literally what both Mark and I also have in common, which is, um, you take an interest in people, and and I think that's that's the key is is when I get on a phone call with somebody. Um, and, and I'm, I'm a strange person because I can be, I, I, I have anxiety, like social anxiety at times, which is probably one of the reasons that I, uh, really was a heavy drinker and drug user when I was young. And, um, you know, I felt like it, it helped me to 
not have social anxiety. I believe that about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so even now, I the way the way I overcome social anxiety is I get interested. Yeah, you know. And so even when I take calls, which I answer the phones here, so I I take all the calls basically. Um, you know, I'm curious. I'm instantly curious about what's going on in your life. I want to know. And I get the impression you're that way too. I am. And um, I'm, I'm interested to know now. So what does your model say? I think I understand the answer. But but you were talking about the differences in our programs. And I, anytime I hear about your work and I've read your book, I, I don't, I can't think about really any enormous <laughs> differences except for maybe the lexicon that we use. What would your model say about what you said you used to believe about drinking? Well, I think I think the, the biggest difference between our models is that we just focus on the the behavior. We focus on a big part I think that's different is we look at the drug and getting rid of drug mythology. Mm-hmm. We're heavy on the drug mythology. So where when I was reading your book I read it years ago and then I, I reviewed it today. I had to go through and be like, okay, I can't remember all this. I know. <laughs> and I think that that one of the things that you talk about is what we would consider learned connections. For instance, that poverty can be somewhat of a reason or a cause to, to have addiction or increase the rate in that population. I would argue that. I would make some points to argue that that may not be true. Mm. And or would, it may not be true for the reasons – Right. 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 So, right. so I would look at it and say poverty does not cause addiction. Now, I don't think you're saying that either. I don't okay? either. But it could be seen that way because of the way you frame things. And so I don't know if we have that much difference or like you said, if it's the way we word things. I was super careful. Me and Steve mm. spent years figuring out the wording. Because I said, I don't want to get lost in that because people are coming from such a causal place that I got to have a chapter that says we do, we're not, there is no cause of addiction. Mm. There's no cause. There are reasons and free will allows for an independent thought of each autonomous being. And so, so we're very precise in our book, you know, Um, I think you're precise too, but I think you come at it from a social side. I see yeah. what you're saying. So, yeah, that, from like, side. like the thing I was thinking, I was distracted by Michelle saying, "Well, I believed that alcohol was going to rid me of social anxiety or help me." And what you found out was that you're genuinely curious about people, and whatever you know, maybe other things were competing for your attention that caused that you know gave you a feeling of anxiety, and you you believed that there was something about alcohol that cured it. And I I, I understand about your model, your book that you're saying. Let's get rid of like the whole language about, you know, personifying or or mystifying alcohol or drugs. It's just it's a thing. So let's treat it like a thing. Right. So, yes. And that's I think you're right. I think we don't have such. I mean, that is what we believe, of course. Um, But we don't have such a bent. You're right. We come at it from like a social perspective. What kinds of Mm -hmm. things could make somebody ripe for believing those types of myth, you know, that kind of mythology and, you know, what, how do they get there? Oh, and so, you know, how do we trend them away from it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, we live in a culture where we, I mean, there are 
drugs called antidepressants. There are drugs mm. called anti-anxiety medications. Yeah. Right, and right. alcohol is advertised as 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 having fun in a bottle. Right. So, I mean, we all grew up that way. Flick of a switch. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. and so, and then, and then your first experience is now the truth of the matter is my first experience getting drunk um, was pleasant and unpleasant at the same time. I mean, I was, <laughs> I, you know, I was, I went, I got, went home with a girl that I wanted to like me. Um, and I was 13 years old. I was in middle school, eighth grade. And I, and I was, had just come to that school. And so, so she was like, Hey, you want to, you want me to make you a screwdriver? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is, uh, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> cause my dad was a whiskey drinker. Right. Cause uh, alcohol is magic. <laughs> right. Alcohol is magic. So, cause you know, what else were we going to do, I guess. And so she, so, uh, you know, when you're 13 years old, you make a screwdriver, you make half, half vodka, half. nasty rock gut vodka and half orange juice and it was gross and but i drank it and i liked the feeling i did like the feeling mm -hmm. um but i had two of those and by the time my mother picked me up i was puking my brains out <laughs> you know so um so it was good and bad but i remembered that buzzy feeling and i remembered i was much more social i i felt like i was much more social and i was having fun and um and by then, uh, by the time I did this, my dad was sober in AA. So I was also raised in AA, knowing that alcohol had magical powers to enslave you. So I had the double whammy. Mm. And um, and so I didn't, I dabbled with marijuana. I dabbled with alcohol marijuana right up until I was about 18. I mean, 16, I started partying more because I got a car. Um but, but by, it was 18 when I really was like, okay, this drug thing, these drugs, they're great. And <laughs> I need to do them all the time. Like, <laughs> because the, because then you reinforce those beliefs with your experiences, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's the greatest difference. I think we focus on the person has a reason to use that reason. Is it objectively true? Does the wow. drug actually produce the relief they are seeking, whether they live in a poverty-stricken area or they're a rich, privileged person and both have, let's say, both have terrible lives with drugs and alcohol? Um, what drives that is the belief that the substance has some sort of power. And that power is based on marketing you know, and marketing that we've heard in treatment centers and, then, and, and marketing. And then it's reinforced by, um, active placebo and, um, expectations. Right? Yeah. I don't, I don't know that the, I still am not seeing you. You might be right about the precision at, with which we make the point. I think it's a focus too. It might be a focus, but I, I still mm -hmm. don't hear much that I'm, you know, I don't disagree. I'm with so glad, you know, I just, oh, yeah. I, agree. I, the thing, you know, we do talk about addiction and we don't say addiction's nothing. Um, so like get that out of your mind. But we sort of try to take back the, the term addiction to mean like what you said, Michelle, and what you I guess what you both said, that there's this illusory sense that that you're getting something, you know, that there you're getting something that you're seeking worth clutching despite yeah. whatever's going on in the background that sucks. Right. And um and that, you know feeding that continuing to feed that 
through, like what you said, that belief about that, you know, continuing to use a drug because you believe it's giving you this thing that you can't possibly get anywhere else, or just believing that you're getting it um, on a on a loop. And then it's that, that whole loop is detracting from everything else in your life. Right. Uh, that, that's, we, we call that addiction. We call it something, but addiction seems to be a fitting way to talk about it. It, yeah. it does. It does. It is, it is like, um, it's a dedication. Like I always, like, I think a mm. lot of people misunderstand us and they're like, we're saying addiction doesn't exist. Well, it doesn't exist in the sense that yes. that is a compelled behavior, as a compelled right, behavior right, right? Like you're right. out of control, but you know, I remember feeling that way and I've felt that way even since with other things that I'm doing, it's, it's, you feel like you need it for reasons that you can't get anywhere else. Right. Right. Like it, it, you need it in your life. And, and so what we try to do, which I think you guys do too, is you like, we devalue it in your life because one of the things that I read was about like, changing activities and finding purpose in your life. Well, we, we have a, a, you know, something called life movements and it was the challenge. This is a little, little insider info. When, uh, when Steven and Mark and I were meeting, we were putting the book ticket book together. Um, so this was like 2016 and, and, you know, Mark was like there in our old, um, version of the, the freedom model, older, this is our 14th edition. So in the older versions, mm -hmm. we did have life movements as part of the curriculum. And so a lot of people were tying in, I have to like have these really great goals and this really great purpose in life in order to stay sober. Mm -hmm. And what we found was some of these people, you know where I'm going, mm -hmm. some of the, I think we have it in the book. Some of these people, when we did the follow-up studies with them that had great life goal, like they were, they were moving on and they were really happy and they were getting on with their lives and they'd have time, you know, time abstinent. And cause abstinence was our thing back then too, um, would kind of like all of a sudden just go off the deep end. Mm. And then we'd have all these other people that were like, you know, I don't really need purpose. They just left and they were fine. <laughs> yeah. So, so this right, is a, right. this is a big divergence, I think, between our two models. I think that yours is very focused and, on, on and I don't think this life. is good on living I'm a good life on purpose, right? And finding connection and meaning and values. And what our research showed, and this is kind of shocking, it didn't matter much. It just didn't matter much. There was thousands of people that we were calling. And all of a sudden I realized that most everybody that I did a lot of the goal setting with and a lot of the purpose-driven lifestyle stuff. I mean, I tried everything under the sun. I tried so much stuff you can't imagine. So this is all I did all day, every day <laughs> for decades. His whole life since he was 19. Yeah. And um, and what I found is that a lot of them, most of them didn't do any of what I taught. Most what do you of think? Them, what do you think accounts for that? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'll, I'll answer that. That's, that's a good question. Um, most of them went back to a lifestyle that was very similar to their old lifestyle. No matter how hard I pushed, sometimes mm -hmm. I kept people for a year, dude. I mean, oh yeah, we had you know we had everything from two for weeks all the way to a year. I tried all different combinations. I did. You, if you knew, it's crazy. And we took a lot of these people were people that came in on scholarships that were homeless when they got to us. Yep. And then I had people that were rich that paid money to be mm -hmm. with us for that length of time. All kinds of stuff. And and they literally said to me, 
Mark, once I knew I wasn't powerless, once the disease thing was gone and that drugs don't contain power, I know. I just kind of, I didn't do the thing that didn't serve me. It doesn't serve me. And I can remember this happening over and over. And so then my, my focus shifted from a purpose-driven lifestyle that I was connecting to use or connecting to not use. So I was creating a like problem. Like you have to build a good life. Yeah, you have to be happy to be sober. Right. We that said that. We said I, that for years. Oh, and it was such so problematic. It is so untrue because here's what happened. My first four years of sobriety were hell. Oh, they were terrible. I had no family, no money, no purpose. No friends. A, a fel, uh, going on a felony record, court appearances. I was homeless. I mean, I had two suicide attempts and yet I never drank and drugged. So I started to back up my research and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's going on here? I have this whole pool of people. Now, I'm not saying that's the best goal to have for no. a program, which is why I still have life movements, but I figured out the order in which the priority of process. Yeah. And if I don't get rid of the mythology, if I leave the mythology of the drug intact, the people will continually to will continue to suffer. Right. The chronology can't be, I see what you're saying. It, it can't be, let's find out what is a purposeful life for you and go start living that life. And that's the way that you, you know, you be because if they're, if they're still um, charged with the mythology that, that they came in with and right, they can't, it's, it's going to be a, a faulty setting. That's so that may, really, that's really smart. It takes me sometimes a long time to train people. What you just said, you picked up on that so, so quick, by the way. That's awesome. Uh, well, we've gone through the same thing. Like that we've done renditions of our uh, new editions of the model itself online that we, that we Good. went through. And, and I think, yeah, we found a similar thing. It was, we still try to let people believe what they believe and sort of use a kind of language and reflect enough that perhaps they talk themselves out of it. Mm. We're not we're not as geared toward trade, although it sounds like based on your research, we we could be, but um we're not as geared toward saying, no, dude, you know, ditch ditch that. That's not even true. Here's why. Um <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I'm not trying to straw man you. I don't think that's what your model is. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but but um but there there seems to be some value in allowing people <laughs> the space to recognize. Um, okay, if you have some attractive alternative to the thing that you think is producing this joy in your life, even though you're telling me that actually, as a net effect, it's not producing any joy in your life. Right. And, and perhaps even like in the moment, you're just sometimes telling me it's not producing joy. You're, you are doing a drug and then you're still you. Um, that if you, if you have something that's a little bit more driven towards the kind of life you want to live or the kind of person you want to be, um, you might find you'll climb out of that hole a little bit easier and, you know, do, do you. drugs, drink, uh, along the way, do whatever you want to do, but you know, this might, this might just eclipse it. I think that, I think we do do that. Yeah. I, th I, 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 that's yeah. I think that it depends on the person, right? There are people, mm, I think, yeah. I, I think that that, that approach worked with me within myself with natural remission. I think that I had already come to the conclusion, and this is where I think the life process program works so well, is if you have already come to the conclusion, maybe 70%, 80%, the drug is not working. 
and you may not understand why. Okay. We get into the mechanics that it actually mind brain. We get into the mechanics of how pharmacologically it can't right? all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But let's say you're a person that is 70% there. I'd say that's where I was. You know, mm, when I finally too. got in that car accident, I said, I mean, how, how far do I take this? My life is just total shit. And, <sighs> and every time I'm drunk, I'm ruminating on the same crap, no matter if I'm close to blackout or not. Right. And then literally when I was homeless within the first week of getting over detox and my life is in total shambles, I'm standing on a street corner and I said, I'm going to be the good citizen. I came up with a concept in my mind of being a good citizen because I was never a good citizen. I was a piece of shit. I really was not a good kid. And, and at that point I was like, oh, I'll just gauge all my decisions by this weird icon of a good citizen. And literally from that moment, my life began to improve. Now it didn't improve quickly, but I did the life process program. I did the freedom model. I just did it without knowing I was, there was no name for right, it. Right, right. You know, and that's natural remission, of course. That's outgrowing an addiction. So I think that what Michelle was talking about with asking people questions, the way we take a call, we ask questions. That's what you're doing. I'm asking the questions to build the puzzle because yes. I don't know this person. Right. At, at what level ca can you provide feedback? Is that what you're saying? Like, yeah. you can kind of get a read on just, just how indoctrinated a person might yes. be. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes you, we, sometimes we have to start with, I mean, most of the people I work with, the women, because I work with mostly women that I work with are there, some of them are 20 years in, in and out of AA. Um, and they, and they're there, it's an onion. It's like you peel back layers of beliefs that are so problematic right down to their beliefs about themselves and, and their character defects, right? Cause they've written a dozen fourth steps. I, I don't even know if you're familiar with, with going through all of that in AA, but it, it's, you know, and in every fourth step, they were writing what pieces of shit they were and writing down these character defects. And because we know that's a good therapeutic model, right? What right? a piece of shit I am, right? Well, yes. they the, actually, the, the, the thing that really bothers me, and my, I, I'll to give credit to you all, you are very precise about the way that you uh, debunk all of that. There is something in each step of AA that kind of has a ring of truth to it. Do you know what I mean? Always. Like, it's Have, not yes. it's not only insane. There's something kind of stoic or like yes. this sounds right about it. that's the most difficult thing for me is when yep. like you said this lady's writing down how do you convince somebody that that fourth step was either worthless or or to steer it a different direction is is very difficult. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's, that's how cults work mm. um, is, is they, they have a ring of truth in everything. So right. people really, I mean, Mark and I bought, we were members, you know, we bought in for a long time and we were raised in it. So it was, it felt normal, even it like, even though we saw the contradictions there, we're like, mm, that doesn't quite make sense. Um, So, but, but then like, that's something that, that cults, use to their advantage, right? That, mm. that it's, you know, yes, this is a, this is a program <laughs> of contradictions. Yeah. Yes. This right, is, right. Right. Relapse <laughs> is part of recovery. Wait a minute. Isn't that <laughs> a part of dying? I, I, <laughs> yeah. right. uh, recovery equals dying. Okay. <laughs> That's my standard now. Right. <laughs> right. It's the perfect cult. Yeah. yeah.
<laughs> yeah. So we do also, we do like, like you guys, we, we work to meet people where they are. Um, and, and it's, um, but it can be, it can be challenging when people have these long held. Here's the most tragic thing. And I'm sure you see this too. The most tragic thing for me when I'm working with someone is when they believe that they're powerless because of their, they, because they keep going back and using in the same way, right? They'll, they'll read a, a section of the freedom model, or we'll do a couple coaching sessions and, and we're getting, starting to get through it. And then they kind of test the waters because mm. you guys talk about moderation too, right? So they, they go back and they, they drink in the exact same way. And they're like, see, see, I really am powerless. It really does exist. I mean, getting through that barrier can, I think is, is very challenging. It is. Yeah. Then it starts to get higher level. Uh, the idea that, Oh, oh, moderation. Some people can do that. I can't. Right. Is, is, a, is a tricky one, you know, and then there's no avoiding about, you know, talking about what people do in the context of their own lives. Right. And, uh, you know, coming out that way. Yeah. Yeah. So how would you so how would you address that? Like, let's say that somebody uh, with the life process program, because I, d- I don't know how it works. So mm. I have a general idea. But let's say that somebody you were working with somebody and what's the approach where they're like, you know what? I don't want to just swear off forever. Super common idea, right? Yeah, yeah. I I, I want to have a glass of wine at my son's wedding. You know, I, I want to experience that. And I assume that you would agree. And then what would be the the discussion? How would that happen? Yeah, there's well, there's um there's a section. There's some things that are just canned and it's written. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you have that a similar approach online, but yeah, it's yeah. sort of written cognitive behavioral track that people write down their answers to, and then you can respond to it. And that all is kind of passive. Uh, it's all in writing, I mean. Yeah. And so people have already sort of answered the question about what it looks and sounds and feels like when this thing is destructive to them. You know, why I'm here? Why am I paying you money right. uh, in the first place? So usually that's a, that's a good lever into if somebody wants to live a lifestyle that drinking can be a part of it, you know, then I can ask some of the reflective questions that you've already mentioned about what is it about drinking that, that you enjoy? Mm-hmm. And rather than what is, what does the alcohol do to you and what it is about drink? And then we ask a sort of more expansive set of questions about what are you doing? Who are you doing it with? What is the activity? Are there other activities that you do it in? Um, so when it comes, but when it comes to the, but it sounds like it besets me when, kind of a dialogue yeah there's um we try to go into a little detail about that like i hate the term harm reduction now but i know but it is we we should talk about that yeah okay but but you know what i mean when i say it like there's a it put yourself in this situation and if you want to if you want to test drive a situation for yourself you know go in with all of the common sense stuff that we just talked about you in control of your own life but you know, if you're worried about it and you feel like you want to give yourself a safety net, well, let's talk about the things that seem to cause the most destruction when, when they happen. So, That's you know, super, super simple, like, you know, making sure you get a ride home or, you know, right from yeah. simple as that to maybe more, more complexities about their situation. But so we usually start there and then have somebody run the experiment if that's what they want to do the, the next day when they get off the phone with us. And then it's more of an observation about how those things are going. The yeah. other thing we do, I think, is just 
the conversation funny enough it's an addiction like program i guess but we don't talk that very much about addiction we really talk a lot about what their lives are like so that they're understanding that more happens in their life than what happened with their drug and experience yeah you know and uh, which is which sounds very similar to to what now you talk about it too yeah 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 you know when uh when i wrote the book with steve and michelle I, I opened the book with the line, you know, anybody can moderate. And we both, Literally. Steve and I were like, we, we, we can't open with that. <laughs> he, Mark and I was one, like, we're opening he with us. it. We are opening with it. Because we were like, ah, oh. because Stephen was more upset than I was. Because like, <laughs> it's the litmus test of whether somebody has fear over the imaginary powers of a, of a substance. Mm. Because if they say, I can't moderate, then I know. I instantly know that they're filled with misinformation. Now, the level to which they're filled, what is the level of indoctrination at that point? For me, those are the questions that I'm asking in that first call. Like you just described basically what we do. You did. Right? And but but I'm going to really dig in and say, OK, do you believe it? It cures anxiety. Tell me about that. No, no, I don't. I, I don't drink because of anxiety. I drink because, you know, I just like to escape. Escape is number one for people our age. And, and like, then I go, that's that's <laughs> that's escape, an, yeah, yeah. It's, it's an unbelievably powerful lie. Yeah. That mm. that it allows that it makes you escape. And I say, say, tell me how 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 do you escape? Well, it makes me. And I go, it makes you. And they go, yeah. And I go, okay, we have some work to do, <laughs> you know? And so that that's, but, but then I'll ask like you and, and some of what I'm trying to do here is for the audience. I want the audience sure. to hear the mechanics of this, these two approaches, right? Um, then I'm going to ask a whole bunch of questions about their life. And because, and I'll say, listen, I'm going to ask you question after question. It might even get annoying, but we're going to do like an hour's worth of this because I don't know you. I, I know nothing right. about you. So I have to build a puzzle and then I can build a curriculum around that puzzle and figure out where you're, you're living by a lie and you don't, you may not know that, you know, I didn't know that, you know? And so that's, we've now Michelle and I've been doing this for so long. We've, after I have a class, I go and we talk about it. You know? <laughs> we do. You know, we make sure we're doing the right thing, you know? And uh, that's probably so, good. That's probably good that you do that. Yeah, it yeah. is actually. And, and our other coaches as well. Oh, yeah. Um, we, we usually have a, a, you know, talk to them a couple times a week just to, just to bounce stuff off, you know, and, and what's going on with this person and, and just making sure that, that if, if there's anything that. It's how we all learn. It is how we all learn, you know, and, um, but I, I wanted to, I know we're, it's now like 40, we're 43 minutes into it. And usually we, end our podcast by now but no, 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 don't you don't have to be polite either if it gets to the time no i wanted to ask you about like like harm reduction and and i mean we have come out kind of um like a bull in a china shop for lack of a better term because because i i feel like the pharmaceutical industry has hijacked harm reduction harm reduction mm -hmm. and what its original intentions were um and and I, we get a lot of criticism for that. So I just didn't know if that's something you want to talk about. If sure. not, we can cut this out. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't mind talking about Actually, you know, what's funny is um, it was a conversation with Mark 
And then I I asked a question about harm reduction, and Mark said like I I don't I, I don't I can't I'm not going to try to quote you because I'll I'll screw it up. But it was something to the effect of it's stupid. <laughs> but but and I could I didn't understand what was stupid, you know. And but when I said specific, you know, if I gave specifics about what I meant by harm reduction, you would say, well, okay, that's common sense, you know, that's that yeah, makes right. sense. And so I was, I couldn't square in my mind what you were talking about. And it didn't take very long for me to understand. I, I didn't realize there was such a, um, like a social movement about it, I guess. Or right. maybe I did. And I was like, uh, caught in the whirlwind or caught up in a mob fervor. But um, the idea that people put a harm reduction banner on everything that they want to do and say, this is, you know, this is right. This is, this is the, the just way forward. Well, that's tricky for me in the first place. Um, but then when they do things like you, you mentioned the pharmaceutical industry, they're, the idea of harm reduction, uh, MAT is harm reduction or, right. you know, all, all of these things are, are harm. It, that's not how I think about it. I think of harm reduction is you take the thing that is most harmful and you, you put a bulwark up to try to prevent it to the extent that you can. And yes. that's not, that's not a recipe for life by any means. That just means like, you you have enough self worth that you you know put some protections in place in the meantime, and so if that's what people mean, I'm good. But I hate I hate the right the co op. Yeah, I mean term. harm reduction to me is is getting a fentanyl test kit. If you're going to do heroin, get a fentanyl right. test kit and know what you're getting or any right. drug for that and, matter. And so that was the common sense part. And right. I remember <laughs> I it's funny I I I was looking up to see where you guys were at, and I found our old. Uh, podcast the mat trap oh yeah the mat oh yeah 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 and i said uh it, this is and this is weird because we didn't orchestrate this i want the audience to know this but if you go back into that podcast you'll hear me say something like i didn't listen to this part but i remember saying it in four or five years we're going to start seeing the results of the mat trap yeah and uh i said i'm good at seeing trends and i've always had this gift and it's no bullshit I can, you can ask Michelle for 34 mm -hmm. years, I can see things coming down the pike. And I think some of that is just, I get so many people from all over the world. I get oh, a yeah, taste of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, it's going to be the disease in new clothing. Mm. And I, that's at, that, what, at that point, I believed that also. Yeah. 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 yeah I remember we had a, we had a great conversation and I think that uh, I think we're there. I think this the idea of lifelong mm. necessity that that the best you're gonna do that is such an evil thing to tell somebody I because agree. it's it's wrong and it hurts people and it makes them subservient to the goals of the pharmaceutical company, which is a lifelong customer with with a high uh, withdrawal problem now, right? So. So it just makes me insane that we're doing this to people. You know, this idea, you don't know what's going to, what, what that autonomous, free will driven, positively driven human being is going to do in the next minute. You don't even know what they're thinking. I know. And then you can make a diagnosis that they need a drug called Suboxone in their system for the rest of their lives because they're too weak. To call it, <laughs> right, to call it a medication. Yeah. You, you get to, people instill it with this virtue, like this is the life-saving drug. Yes. I'm not going to arrest people with these life-saving drugs, just the bad guys. Yes. Drugs, like yeah. yes. Um, that's, yes. That, that does it for me, you know? 
Uh, actually, I was referencing the conversation we had two years prior to that, where you know even even before that you were you were saying some of the same things, and it was uh, <laughs> so yeah, well, well before the time that was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm really encouraged that you, a lot of people, uh, you know, Matt M A T is now the religion. It's the new religion, right? And that is that. Yep. And it can't be touched. A- you can't talk about it. That's right. You can't. You know, you will be hammered. Mm-hmm. You know, and and we get a lot of comments, but but not so much because I think everybody knows that we. I'm not anti Matt. No, I want to say that too. I'm not, I'm not anti any drugs. Yeah, I'm not. I, I assume you're the same way, right. Zach. Yeah, you um, know, yeah. I, people should be able to use what they want. Oh yeah, you yeah. can't say that drugs are neither good nor bad, and then be anti a drug. Exactly. You know, right. so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not anti. I'm not anti Matt. I'm anti lying to people. Yeah, misinformation. You know, For sure. Yeah. You know, I had um. That, so this might be one of the the, the things that uh, you would think that I'd want edited out, but it's funny. I I like Maya Solovitz. Yeah. I've met her, and she's very good company. I've had drinks with her. You know, nice. and, and we've talked together. I, I had could, her on my pod. I had a podcast. Uh, well, before podcasts were a thing, I had a talk radio show, and I interviewed her. I think I've actually heard it. I think I've heard that <laughs> interview you did with there, yeah. uh, which is funny. I thought she was great. Yeah, she's a she's a really good person, and she's super smart, like whip smart. And um, we couldn't be we couldn't be farther from each other when it comes to the idea of I know. drugs being the cause of something. And and it's in, she's inconsistent in that sense. Like mm-hmm. in some ways, you know, I read New York Times articles that she puts out now, and uh, in some ways, it's like totally sensible. And you know, I I couldn't agree more. And then. When I've talked to her, we have this conversation all the time. I'd say, would you ever do heroin again? She's like, no, I wouldn't risk that. And so I, you know, I'm leading the witness, but I'm like, well, risk what? <laughs> well, you know, I was, I was so addicted to heroin when I was younger and I just, it took me into turmoil and I was skinny and not eating. I don't want to, why would I put heroin in my body? And so we often riff or argue, I guess, about what do you really think New York <laughs> Times writer, you know, you go out and have glass. So you think if like you had a dab of heroin in your system, you were going to turn into that person. Like you're just going to be that right away. And uh, anyway, I, th- I always think that's, that's my uh, litmus test of, of where somebody how, is, where somebody, well, where somebody like this is now Maya now is like an American intellectual in this space and yeah. she can't seem to wrap her head around it. So I, I'm impressed that, you know, p- people can come to your program or mine and be willing and, and open enough I know to, uh, to land and and more commonsensical ground than than yeah, some of those people we we look to for the information. I think I think that's a great example of a common blind uh, blind spot that people have, and the religion in a, in America, Western culture of pills. It's whether it's uh, the religion is that it's a demon or it's your savior. Neither is true, and until you can figure that out until you understand that they're meaningless, until we give them meaning, that the physical sensation is meaningless, until you give that physical sensation a framework with your mind. And then, then, then we're t- now we're talking about mind versus brain and body. Mm. You know, when you go mm. down the rabbit hole, which is a whole different area of faith. And I'll even concede that saying I have a mind might be faith-driven. I mean, then you're going into a very deep intellectual hole which I don't mind going down because mm-hmm. I I've thought about it a lot, you know, and I'm comfortable discussing 
what I know to be true and that part that I know to be faith in my ideas. And, but I would rather believe that I have a metaphysical mind that's running the show than believe that a drug is going to save me <laughs> and that it has the or power to destroy you. Both right. are faith, both are faith driven. Right. 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 I'm I'm admitting that, but I'd rather hedge on me. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. Me too. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and it's it, and it's more true. Like, like rather than having an essentialist idea about what what drugs are, or the brain is. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Well, I'm I'm super um, grateful that you guys had me on to talk about this. It's, Thank you it's, so much. It's it's, it's freeing uh, to be able to talk about these things without worrying about the next thing we might come into, you know, might argue about. It's so often that people think that I they know. understand what I'm talking about and say, well, you've got to come on this thing and talk to me. And I never know what territory I'm entering. So it's actually is very open, nice dialogue. <laughs> nice to be able to have this conversation. That's so great. That's yeah. so great because we are the same way. We get asked on podcasts all the time and we always vet them pretty well. Mm. Um, cause, cause Mark, Mark went on one. Remember that? Oh one? yeah. That was was awesome. it Colin? I, I can't remember, but it was hilarious. So <laughs> I, I felt, I felt bad for the dude. He he got me, and on it was there. two of them against him. Yeah, I didn't know that. So they they set it up so that they were gonna, and they actually pulled in a third person on who like, was a treatment guy. Yeah, he was, big he treatment, treatment guy, treatment and program. they just were hammering me. But it ended up that I I literally it was one of that guy's most popular. Episodes. You smoked him. Yeah, I, I, I slapped the shit out of him, <laughs> and, and it was, but but I didn't want to. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I wanted. I to do have know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you were willing to if you had to. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you put me in that position but but one of the things that um we, i was a little bit nervous with you coming on today because i i never know and you were probably too weren't you i don't know i, I wasn't really I, okay i, I <laughs> was you're all good natured yeah so yeah we are if, even if we disagreed yeah yeah I, but i didn't know you know you never know where somebody's career goes yeah and you know the book is now a couple of years old five years old i don't mm -hmm. know what what zach rhodes is thinking is he is he a heavy proponent of, of, you know, let's give Suboxone to everybody. You know, I don't right, know. Right. <laughs> right, you know? right. And so we like, didn't think so, but <laughs> I was like, Michelle, I, I got, we may have to walk a tightrope so that we don't know. <laughs> it's funny. Out. It's uh, opposite of that. I'm actually working on a new book now about education and uh, okay. only about education. And, and it's like, uh, you know, I work in schools and I'm, I probably have to quit my job after the book's published. So whenever, whenever it gets out there, it's even more like, uh, what would you say? Like bedrock Con ideas. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's wonderful because, um, one, one of the people that we, we talked about a lot in our, we had a whole chapter devoted to her was Carol Dweck. Mm. Um, and, and about like the growth mindset. And, and so I, because I read a few of her books and then I went further in and I have a, a special needs son. I mean, mm -hmm. he's now uh, turning 30 years old actually next week. Um, and, uh, and the, the educational, and I have my second son was, they sent him to, you know, for ADD, you know, he was an ADD kid, but I wouldn't medicate him. Um, he's going to be 28, uh, in November. Um, so they all made it through, but the education system isn't meant for those kids. You know, I mean, it's my third son is just a happy-go-lucky, good-natured kid. And he was a decent student and he just wasn't like the older two, you know, mm -hmm. and um, it's made for kids like my third son, 
you know, and, um, but I had two out of three, we, 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 I was in school all the time. And they were like, they were like, I was where I was kind of an ADD kid, you know, and if, if I wasn't interested in something, I, my things would wander. So I, I don't know if that's where you're going with, cause you work with those kids. I'm, that's what you talked about, right? In, in a way that's where I'm going. I mean, I'm watching kids lost at school all the time yeah. who shouldn't be. And it's, uh, de it depresses me to no end, except that I'm trying to be constructive now. It's funny because I feel like, uh, what's the guy's name? The psychiatrist that recently came out against the psychiatry um, guild. Oh, in uh, Incel, Thomas Incel. Yep. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Mm -hmm. And it's, I made, I noticed about this that people start talking, to, you know, speaking up against the <laughs> guilds and, and professions and institutions when, once they're retired from them. Yes. And, yeah, and I, I don't, yeah. I don't want to be that way. It's so uh, right now, the thing that keeps my spirits up if I'm in a school and I feel like I'm hitting a brick wall is uh, I'm like, you made the book, you know, <laughs> writing, <laughs> a, writing down this incident so that later I'm, you're going down. Uh, <laughs> yep. yep. That's, well, I think it's everywhere. So I applaud you for doing that. That is something that really does need to be taken on and changed for sure. Yeah, I oh, think. I didn't fit in school and I, I tell people you wouldn't know it from the outside because in the end I was kind of a popular kid, but, but I was not with the teachers, No, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was, I was just terrified yeah. socially yeah. all the time. And academically, I don't think I ever brought a book home. I didn't, I just didn't fit, man. I did not fit. I remember the day me and her husband, my best friend, Bob, walked out of that school i was like thank fucking god i am out of that i mean the the relief yeah. was just so extraordinary because i i just couldn't handle it i just couldn't and i didn't and i i wandered the earth for four years after that you know <laughs> just trying to figure out who the hell i was you know yeah. and uh, well yeah. well that's something that impresses me is that despite that you're both like uh contrary to incel Am I saying the name right, or am I just have the term I, in, I, in, in <laughs> cell in my mind? But uh, yeah. uh, but you're in the profession that you're preaching, which I think, in terms of the helping profession or the or educating, that's far and few between. You know, it's yeah. it's hard to find a person who is practicing their values truly. Yeah, and they're in they're in the profession at the same time. So. Yeah, you know who was truly the toughest dude that did that was Thomas Saz. Thomas Saz. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Big yeah. balls. <laughs> Seriously. It's like a myth, myth of mental illness. Can you imagine being yeah, in I know <laughs> being that guy. Right. I, you know, it's funny. One more thing. I interviewed um, another one of these guys that is like blows the whistle was uh, Alan Francis. Mm. He wrote, um, he was the chairperson of the DSM for right up until four revision. And then he was like, I'm out. He blew the whistle. He wrote the book, Saving Normal. Great book if you haven't read it yet. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah. And, uh, but, but yeah, you know, you collect all the money all those years and then you're like, okay, no, this is all crap. Yeah. Then you're <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Yeah. We aren't doing that. <laughs> Just don't, good on don't, you. don't cut my retirement account here. I'm going to write a bad book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much. I appreciate oh, you having me. And you, we got it. You've got to come on both uh, the social exchange and the life process program podcast yeah. that'd be great oh you uh, have a life process i didn't even know that yeah we put we put one of those out every week uh we're not as consistent as you are so it's like every week you guess the day <laughs> but yeah but, uh, yeah well trying to hone we, in on the schedule look at we weren't consistent for the first couple of years um we are 
you know, we've had a couple different producers. My son produced for a little while. And, uh, and now Ryan, we're like, Ryan, you get that out. You get that <laughs> yeah, out. <laughs> right. Perfect. <laughs> so yeah, he's, he's kicking butt, but so, thanks so much. It was really a pleasure having you on Zach. Thank we you too. Both yeah. For sure. yeah. It's awesome. All right. All right. All right. Take, Take good care, care guys. Yep. You too. Learn how you can solve your addiction for good without steps, meetings, rehabs, and endless mat regimens, and then move on with your life as a free and empowered person. Learn how by enrolling in our free one-hour Move Past Addiction Masterclass. To enroll in this free class, click the link provided or go to thefreedommodel.org. And when you attend our free masterclass, you'll get 50% off the Freedom Model online program and now 20% off our private coaching program as well. See you at the masterclass.